Please stand for the reading of God's word. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is God's word. Good morning. So we are hearing from John, the, the apostle of love, on this theme of love. I loved being able to look at all your faces a couple minutes ago and just think about the, the wonderful gifts that are in this room, also the needs that are in this room, and that we get to gather every week to uh, remember God's love for us, to give that love to one another, and then to be sent out, uh, hopefully as lovers into this world that God has made as his kids. Um, so it's great that we gather and, and do this together. Um, last week, I gave you an invitation to, to love somebody, to identify someone and to, to actually reach out in love. And um, I hope that many of you had an opportunity to do that. Um, if you did not, that's fine because I'm going to preach the same sermon today. So you get a second shot at this. Um, John writes this letter to help us discern whether or not our faith is authentic. That's why he writes. In chapter 1, he puts it this way. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's writing that we might have fellowship with God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. And he's showing us this is what... When you do have true fellowship with the Father and the Son, as, as the Spirit lives in you, this is what your life will look like. And so last week I gave you this image of a tree. And, um, you know, Jesus makes this comment on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, by their fruits you will know them. Right? 
Like you can tell the authenticity of a person's life by their fruits. And so we talked about the roots last week that you have to have these roots that are grounded in, in God and his love and his truth. But those roots should then bear fruit. And really, 1 John is focused primarily on the fruits. John wants to help us see in the tangible expressions of our lives day to day, this is the kind of life that you should see yourself living. And if you do, that can give you a great sense of confidence and assurance that, in fact, you do have fellowship with God and and with his son, Jesus. And the primary fruit that John focuses on in this letter is the fruit of love. And so that's what we're talking about a lot through this series. We talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it again this morning, the fruit of love. And what I want to do today is, is say some of the same things I said last week, but particularly make the, the important connection between being rooted in God's love for us and then bearing the fruit of that love being expressed in our lives to one another and to those around us, all right? So uh, there'll be some repetition here, but I think there'll also be some new ideas and thoughts here. So I want to talk about God's love for us, and then I want to talk about our love for one another. So first, let's look at God's love for us as John articulates it here. Uh, A famous phrase, look at the end of verse 8. He says, God is love. Verse 16, halfway through verse 16, he says, God is love. This short three-word phrase, God is love is love. And by that, I assume what he means is God is entirely loving. At the, at the heart of God is this heart of love that just pours out. God is love. And I know this is so familiar to us, but it's so important to think when you hear that word God and whatever being you imagine that word represents, do we think of that being as loving? <laughs> Is our God a God of love? Does he have this extravagant heart of love? Is that the kind of God that he is? And John in scripture says, yes, at the center of the universe, of all reality, is this being that has this heart that pours forth in love. In fact, reality was created out of the overflow of love between the Father and the Son. And so I always like to think of like our solar system. At the center of our solar system is the sun that just burns with fusion, right? There's just all these this burning reactions that give light and life to the whole solar system. We live because there's this, there's this sun at the center of things that burns with fire, And at the center of reality is this God, John is saying, whose heart just burns with love. And it's love that created everything. That's who our God is. He is loving. And what's so great about the Christian faith is when it comes to that idea, we're not left to wishful thinking. Like, I don't know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Like, we can't see God. It's a nice thought. I love the idea that whoever created this stuff is loving. But how do I know that? And no other philosophy or religion has a demonstration, a historical demonstration of the love of God the way that Christianity does. And let's take a look at it. Verse 9. How do I know this? How do I know that's not just wishful thinking? Here it is. I know this is familiar, but try to hear it again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, the key phrase there is God sent his one and only son. That's what John wants us to hear. It's a one word in the Greek, one and only. It's used throughout scripture, and it always is used to convey the idea of the uniqueness and therefore the preciousness, the specialness of the person in mind. So you see that word show up in the Gospels. Like in Luke's Gospel, there'll be stories like the widow at Nain where Jesus will come into a town. And we discover there's a wake going on. There's a funeral procession. And there was a widow that lived in that town. So she had lost her husband some years ago. And it says she had a one and only son. So she's probably, you know, she's, she's aged, she's older, she lost her husband, and she has this one son who is so precious. It's the only son she has. It's the only thing left she has a family. We find out that son has, has died, and there's a funeral pr- procession for him. And it describes Jesus this way. When he saw her, Jesus' heart overflowed with compassion. And he, remember, he actually literally raises this son to life. But he sees a woman, he says, this is all she has. This was her one and only son. Or you have the story of Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, and he had a daughter, and he's descri- she's described as his one and only daughter, and she's very sick, and in fact, she dies. So Jesus goes to his town and goes up into her room, right? And, and he, he says, little girl, get up, and she wakes up. But that was all, it was the only kid that he had. Maybe most famously, we know the story of Abraham, right? And his son, Isaac, who Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for, the son of promise. And then God tells Abraham to do something crazy. He says, I want you to take your son, your one and only son, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to sacrifice him. It's a phrase that talks about the uniqueness and specialness. And what the good news is, this is very strange, is that God himself has a son. The creator of the universe has a son. In fact, he only has one son, and it's his one and only son. And as, as Trinitarian Christians, we believe that for all eternity, God the Father has had one and only son. And you can imagine that that son is the apple of his eye. It is the object of his greatest affection, is his pride and joy. Everything in this very loving heart is poured out toward this special son of his that he finds better than anything else in the universe. He just dotes on his one and only son. And the good news is this, that God sent his one and only son that we might live through him, that he sent him as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That that precious son that is the object of all of God's affection, he said, I am willing to give that up for you guys. As an atoning sacrifice, he will become a man, he will have a human body, he will be laid on a cross for the sins of the world. And on the cross, what is happening is God is dealing with his righteous anger, his, his, his righteous um, disapproval of all sin, and yet dealing with his heart of love for sinners, and in this a beautifully wise way, finding out a way to, to make that all work so that sinners like us can be, a, can be fully accepted in his sight, but he had to give his one and only son. I know it's real familiar. It's probably going through one ear out the other, right? How many times have you heard that? I was just thinking this week, though, the cross. I mean, the cross means so many things. There's so much rich theology 
in the cross. We could spend a year just talking about what happened on the cross. But I want to remind us this morning, like at the most basic level, (laughs) what the cross means is you are loved with an extravagant love. You are loved by the Father who would give his one and only Son. You are loved by the Son who would give his one and only life. And so how beautiful would it be if every single time we see a cross, every time we come into this room, anytime you're driving, you see a cross on a building, every time you look at a cross on someone's, on someone's necklace, it's this tangible reminder, I'm loved. I'm really loved. I am loved with an extravagant love. My four-year-old daughter, Josie, and I, we, I, I still talk about, we still talk about how much we love each other. Daddy, do you love me this much? Honey, I love you this much. Her latest one is, um, I love you, infinity, 160, 80, 90. That's the, big, that's the biggest number. 160, 80, 90. I don't know how she land on that one, but I love you to the moon and back. I love you around the sun and back. I love you 160, 80, 90. I love you this much. And at the most basic level, to see a cross and to know, I am so loved. I am so very loved. It's beautiful. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us, right? It is an initiating love. It is an unconditional love. When we didn't love God, he did it anyways. It is a never-ending, it is a wide, expansive, broad, beautiful love for us that has been tangibly demonstrated. You couldn't demonstrate it in a more tangible way. And so just to go to our image The love of God, that is the ground that we stand on as God's children. It is the foundation of our lives. It is the love of God. But what I want to do, before moving to the fruit, I want to make the all-important connection between God's love for us and our love for one another. And there's a verse that really hit me this week. Um, It's verse... um, Let's see, what is it? It's verse 16, okay? Here's the, here's the connection between God's love and our love for one another. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Literally, the tenses are, we have come to know and we have come to rely on the love that God has for us. The idea is through time and over experience, this is something that we have come to be able to do. We've we've come to be able to trust it and to rely on it and to truly know it and to, to depend on it every single day. What I want to say today is this. There is a big difference between being loved extravagantly and knowing that you are loved extravagantly and relying on the fact that you are loved extravagantly. There's actually a a big difference between that. And I think that is the journey of our lives. The truth is we are loved extravagantly, but the journey is coming to know and coming to rely on the love of God. Um, So let me tell you about Josie again for a second. So Josie is four. Um, Josie is a wooer. She's bold. Uh, She's running for president in 2020. Um, seriously, she's already campaigning in our house, clearly. Um, she's strong, she's outgoing, she's funny, she's fun, she's crazy, lovely. So, um, so a month ago, um, our middle is, was playing AYSO soccer. So all, the whole family's there to watch Cora play soccer. And Josie's hanging out, and Josie's kind of playing on the side, you know, and we're watching the game. And, um, and then the game ends, 
And across on the other side of the field, there's two fields parallel to each other. We see, Karen and I see a family that was uh, one of the soccer families from the previous season. So Carrie's got our two older ones. I'm sort of responsible for Josie, but we see them, and the game ends, and I just sort of go, I'm just going to go over and, and uh, you know, talk to them and, and hang out with them. And there's this little voice uh, that probably said, don't forget Josie. Um, and I ignored the voice. And, uh, yeah, uh, this is a hashtag fail story, by the way. Um, so I go over there. Um, it's a beautiful day. It's sunny. It's, it's great. And... Um, and we're talking for probably two minutes. Uh, and then um, I turn around and I see an adult that I don't know who that is. And they're bending down like this with a, a, a girl who's bawling because they're trying to help the girl find her dad. And it's my girl. <laughs> and, um, and Carrie, of course, runs over and just takes her. And Josie's just, dis- I mean, two minutes was an eternity. Right? I mean, literally an eternity. And I'm feeling so bad. Um, and it gets worse. Uh, so here's the, here's the sad thing. Is the last month, Josie is different in public, especially. So when, I, when we go somewhere, we get out of the car, we're somewhere in public, now I have this hand on my pocket. And she is, she is next to me. In the first two weeks, even at home... Um, when she's in another room and I'm in the, like, she's in the family room, I'm in the kitchen. She's wanting me to be in the room with her. And I'm saying, honey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm here. And so this bold and, you know, outgoing kid is, is feeling anxious and scared. And what she's having to do now, she's having to, again, come to know and rely on the love and the care that her dad has for her. And it's been brutal. And obviously I'm a robot, so I'm okay. My wife, it's been so hard, right? (laughs) Um, But we're watching her relearn that. And, and it's like, actually, that's what we all have to do with God, right? And the thing is, it wasn't that, like, I, it was a safe thing. And the reality is, I am there. I am pretty much, I'm a decent dad, like, especially in the house. I am there. My love is there. My care is there. But she's having to relearn it. And that is the journey of our lives, is learning to trust the love of God. And the truth is, God's love is an objective reality. It is there for us. It is the ground we're standing on. But each of us has to learn to know it and to rely on it. And what makes it even harder is many of us in life have had experiences that feel just like Josie's, right? Like, I feel like, God, I feel like you just disappeared on me there. I don't know what happened there. And so now there's a woundedness. And, and I think theologically, no, no, God, God has, God's love has been there all along, but it certainly didn't feel that way. And so we're having to learn that. That is the journey of our lives, to come to know and to rely on the love that is, is, it is the foundation we're living on. Um, it's, it's always there, but we have to learn to rely on it. Um, to go back to our metaphor, you know, we are walking on the ground of God's love. But we have to be actually rooted in that love. And faith, this is what he says, we come to know and rely on, rely on that word, just faith. We have come to, to believe it. We've come to trust in it. We've come to depend in it. Faith are those roots that go down deep into the love of God. By faith, 
we trust and rely on his love. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. These are people that already know his love, but I want you to be more rooted and grounded in his love. That you might have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, it's an experiential knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Faith by faith, we ground ourselves in this objective reality so we start to trust it and rely on it and live by it every day of our lives. What John is trying to do in this passage, you might not have picked up on it, he is trying to help us be grounded in God's love. It's interesting, this word shows up twice um, in this passage. Verse 7, my translation begins, dear friends. Verse 11 begins, dear friends. I don't love that translation. Literally, the translation is, beloved. It is agape, agapetoi, beloved, beloved. And John is reminding us, you are the beloved. That is who you are. That is your identity as God's kids. God loves you. You're the beloved. And for me, that, I'll just tell you, that word takes on a particular meaning. Uh, my name, David, uh, the Hebrew name David means Beloved. And I feel like my own journey has been coming to understand my identity as the beloved. And for me as a kid, what David meant when I heard that, it meant the story of King David, uh, who made some pretty bad moves at certain times, but, but who had a pretty amazing life. And so for me, what David meant at 12 was, I'm destined for something great. Like, I, I mean, King David, you know, that guy was pretty amazing. And I'm destined for something and that created this sense of, of um, uh, expectation, a sense of here's what my life needs to look like. And I feel like over the last 20 years, God is actually saying to me, no, no, that's, that's, not, what, that's not what I meant by beloved, but by being David. I want you to know that you're my beloved. Like, I don't care what you do. I don't care the trajectory of your life, whether you live up to something you think you need to have. For, for me, for you, David means you're my beloved just because I love you, because I can love you. And John knew that. John refers to himself as the beloved disciple, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's trying to help us ground, root ourselves. This is who you are. You can trust it. You can rely on it. You can depend on it every single day. Amen? That's what this is all driving towards. And here's the great thing. Being grounded in God's love is the key to us becoming loving people. Okay? And I want to end with that. But I, first, let's go on to this. The second part of this is then let's look at the, if that's the roots, let's look at the fruits of our love for one another. Look at verse 11. After talking about the love of God, he says this, Dear friends, or beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here's a great verse. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Okay, that idea of his love being made complete, there's a word that shows up four times in our passage. His love is made complete in us, verse 12. Um, verse 17, look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but 
same word, completed love, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made complete in love. All right? The word, the Greek word is telos. And some of you have heard, we have English words like telescope or teleology, but telos. And the, what the word means, it, perfect is not a great is not a great translation. It means something like mature or complete. So the telos of something is the goal or the end for which something was made. Okay? So the telos, you guys are going to answer the fill in the blank here. The telos of a caterpillar is a? A butterfly. The telos of an acorn is a? Oak tree, right? It is when something reaches its completion, its fulfillment, the end to which it was made. And so God's, or John's point in this passage is that God's love for us has a very specific telos in mind. He wants his love for us to be completed, reach fulfillment in our love of one another. He has a love for us. He doesn't just want us to, it's not a love just to be received, but it's a love to be received, internalized, and then given over in love for other people. That is the fulfillment that God has for his love for us. He wants that love to be expressed through us then to one another. And verse 12 starts this way. Look at verse 12 again. He says, no one has ever seen God, right? No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Um, God's invisible. People can't see God, (laughs) duh, right? But God wants to make his love visible, through our visible, tangible expressions of love to one another. So going back to this, right? No one can see what's under the ground. God, love of God. No, no one can see it, but it's, it's an invisible love that wants to be made visible through the fruit of us loving one another. Jesus was the same way. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, right? But Jesus, the one and only, has made God known. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. And now John is telling us there's another way God, the invisible God, wants to be made visible. It's through you guys loving one another. When you do that, the invisible love of God reaches its telos, its completion, and you loving each other well. Which is why in John's letter, love is the litmus test for whether a person's faith is authentic or not. Right? I mean, it's not the only litmus test, but it is the core litmus test. Because that's the kind of love God has. It's a love that wants me given completion in, in other people loving one another. So if you're not doing that, then you have to wonder whether you really have fellowship with this God who is love and who wants to complete his love through your loving other people. So negatively speaking, look at these, these tests. He's saying people who claim to know God but don't love, they don't know God. Look at verse 8. Um, Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Look at verse 20. This is, this is an interesting verse, I think. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have not seen, or who if they have seen, can't love God, whom they have not seen. Okay, what's going on there? Well, he's saying there's, there are people who could claim to love God. There are people maybe who even think they love God. But if they don't love their brothers and sisters, they're lying, whether they're lying to other people or they're lying to themselves. You you can't, that's just not possible given who God is. And so I was thinking about that because I think there's a lot of people, I mean, just to get real tangible, there's a lot of people who who would think they love God and do things that feel very, like me and God, we're good. But you know them, you're like, yeah, but they're kind of jerks. You know, like they're, 
they're, they're not, they're real judgmental, they're real critical, they're, they're not very loving. And so I know that they, they, they think they love God a lot, but I, I don't understand how to put that together. And, and one thought I would have is, well, maybe they're not actually, they think they're loving God, but maybe they just, there's something else they love that they think is God, but it's not. Like, maybe they just love theology. You know, maybe they, maybe they, just, they just like thinking a lot. That's what they love. They don't love, but they don't love God himself. Or, or maybe they, they just love getting emotional hits. I mean, they want to come into a room with a, a dark room and good music and, and have these powerful emotional experiences. And that feels great. Who doesn't want that? Maybe they think that's God, but that's just, they just love the emotional hit. They don't love God. Or, or maybe, you know, they, they, love, um, they love having a black and white world where there's morals and, and you kind of know what good and bad is. That, they need that kind of thing. They like that. And so that kind of works for God. But they, they don't love God. They just love the idea of right and wrong. Because if they loved God himself, well, this is, this is who God is. <laughs> and this is what his love does in people. And so you'd have to at least question whether what they're truly loving is actually God himself or something that just looks like God. Because the fruit isn't there. Now, to say it on the positive, everyone who does love, John is saying, that's great evidence that they do know God and they do love God. Look at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who lives, this is a great phrase, uh, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay? When you experience yourself loving others with God's love, that is this beautiful picture. Wow, the new birth has happened in me. God is living in me. He's made me alive. There's evidence because look, his love is getting inside of me. It's, It's changing me. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So love is the litmus test. And when I observe myself loving others, it shows me, oh, wow, God's love really is active in me. And that's why I said this last week. But that's why love is the thing that can give us great confidence, great assurance of our relationship with God. And that's why John is writing this, right? To give us confidence and assurance. Let me show it to you again. Look at verse um, 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. What's he saying there? He's saying, well, we all know that we're going to face Jesus one day on the judgment day. Every human being is going to stand before their maker and give an account. And he's saying, but there's something that can give us confidence. When we think about that day, there's something that can give us confidence. It's when his love is being made complete in us. When we're experiencing his love, and that love then is is reaching its fulfillment in us loving others. In this world, we're like Jesus. Well, we're not perfect like Jesus, but we're loving like Jesus, is John's point. That's what can give me a sense of confidence before God. I, I experience myself as growing in my ability to love people. Because God's love is transforming me and changing me. I'm becoming more like Jesus in that way. And that gives me a great sense of confidence. I really am God's child. His spirit really is working in me. Verse 18, famous, famous verse. Um, many of you know it. I'm going to give you a slightly different spin on it this morning. There is no fear in love, but I'll say completed love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's my spin. 
I've always thought of the, the perfect love in that is God's perfect love for me alone. God's perfect love is what casts out fear. I'm a sinner. I keep blowing up. I keep messing up. But I'm going to try to trust that God's love for me is perfect. Okay, that is true. I don't think that's quite what John is saying here. I think he's saying, he's saying that, but he's saying more than that. He's saying the perfect love or the completed love I'm talking about is when God's love is working in you such that it is beginning to reach its completion and you becoming a more loving person. And as you experience God's love, as you're more grounded in his love, as you find yourself actually expressing that love for other people, that is the kind of life that gives you no fear. That's the kind of life that gives you great confidence before God. Yes, God's love is perfect no matter what we do. But I think that's the kind of dynamic he's talking about. When I experience God's love and that's starting to get expressed in my life, fear's gone. I mean, fear of punishment is gone because it's, it's obvious that I'm a child of God. His spirit is working in me. Am I perfect? No, of course not. Do I mess up? Am I still selfish? Yes. But I see his spirit operating. That gives me great confidence. All right. I know that's quite a bit. God's love for us and our love for one another. Let me leave you with this image one last time. God has this extravagant love for you. And he wants that love to reach its fulfillment in in us loving one another with the love that we've received from God. As our roots are, 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 are rooted, are grounded in God's love, and the fruit of that is us loving one another. Last week, I left you with the fruits and asked you to consider what's a tangible way that you can love someone this week? Who's a person um, that you can, can love? This week, I want to leave you with the roots. And I think that's actually the best place to end this conversation of love, which would be this. How can you root yourself more deeply in the love of God for you? in the coming weeks? How can you be more deeply rooted and grounded? How can you come to know and rely on the love that God has? The love is there, but by faith, we lay claim to that. We, we ground ourselves. And what would that look like for you um, to do that? And here's why I think this is really important. I'll leave you with this thought. It's really hard to love well when you are not grounded in love. It's really hard. And here's what happens. Mark used this word earlier. I really appreciate it. When we are not grounded in love, we become needy. And no one would ever use that word. We hate that word to describe ourselves, needy. I hate being needy. It's the, least, it's the last thing I want to be. But when I'm not grounded in love, I become needy. I become insecure. There's an emptiness. There's, a, there's a, a restlessness going on inside of me. And when I'm living by that neediness and restlessness, then what I do in life is I pursue an agenda. I would never call it an agenda because that's a bad word. But I pursue my own personal agenda to try to, to try to deal with that. And we all do it in our own ways. So some of us, when we are feeling insecure... We just, we try to avoid and we just try to please. That's our agenda. I'm going to, I'm going to avoid and I'm going to try to please because I'm feeling insecure. So that's, that's my agenda. We don't think of it as an agenda, but it's an agenda. Others of us, when we're feeling insecure, when we're feeling empty, restless, we move towards control. 
I need to control the situation. I need to feel in control. Some of us, we, we, we want to impress. I'm feeling insecure, so I need to impress. I need to be successful. I need to be beautiful. I need to be rich. I need to be right. I need to be respected. You name it. It's a personal agenda. We don't even know we're doing it. But when you are pursuing a personal agenda, you are not free to love. And God wants to free us to love. He wants us to be freed from our personal agenda so that the only agenda we have in any given moment is, I just want to love this person. Whether that means speaking a hard truth, whether that means listening, whether that means forgiving, um, I have been freed up from my neediness because I'm grounded, I'm rooted. So I'm actually free to see what is it that you need. Truly, what do you need? That's what it, I think that's how love works. And so my, my question to leave you with is, what would it look like for you to ground yourself more deeply in the love of God this week? And I can't answer that. You have to answer that for yourself. It might be going to his word at the beginning of every day and grounding yourself in the truths of his word. Or, or it might be, you know, going to these worship songs that really talk about God's love and you, you just sit in those. Or it might be being out in creation. It might be just being in silence. Whatever it is for you, what would it look like So that as you grow in your faith, you can say, I have come to know and I have come to truly rely on the love that God has for me. Let's pray. Well, fathers, we've looked at very familiar territory today of your love for us and your call for us to love one another. I pray your spirit would do a fresh work of renewal, of revival in our hearts, particularly where we are feeling broken, where we are feeling insecure, where we are feeling needy, that you might remind us again that especially in those places, your love is enough. It is enough. It's more than enough. And you have so much, just a heart for us. Free us, fill us, uh, that we might become those who love well. Even as we receive communion this morning, may this be an opportunity to ground ourselves in your love once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.